uh, boats and skiing and stuff. <laughs> and uh, you might think that that's just a fun thing to do. But I'd like to suggest that uh, spending time playing together is a part of worship. Now, you might think I'm sacrilegious in saying that, but here's the thing. God has designed us for relationship. And, and it's when we rub shoulders with each other while we work together. It's when we hang out together and eat food together. It's when we play together. Those are the times we really get to grow each other and disciple each other and build each other up. It has to happen in teaching moments like now and in Sabbath school and in small groups, but it also needs to happen in real life. Let's rub shoulders with each other. Let's, um, what were the words that Paul used? Not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but so much the more as we see the day approaching. So I just want to encourage you, come out. If you're not into skiing, just sit around, hang out there um, uh, on the beach or whatever. Um, enjoy time with, e- with each other. It's going to be a valuable experience. And thank you for the, um, the, the social committee for organizing these really important times. Okay, I had to say that. It was just uh, bubbling up from in, within. So now we get to go into 1 John. We're in the series, Little Children, and this is the fourth of a five-part series. This one I'm entitling Love. Now, if you remember, if you were around and we, we uh, went through 1 John 1, you'd remember that there's a, a huge problem that John introduces, and uh, he gives this really a glorious possibility at the same time. The problem is that God is light and we live in darkness and we cannot dwell with God. But the glorious opportunity is that we can dwell with God if we confess our sins. Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so the possibility exists for dwelling with God, for having fellowship with God. In chapter 2, John deepens this idea of fellowship, and he says that that we can abide with God. If fellowship is like uh, hanging out with a friend, abiding is like living with your spouse. There's a deepening of of, uh, John's possibility. Uh, But he also introduces some other problems. Um, He does talk about the maturing process a Christian goes through, and then towards the end of chapter 2, he says that Knowing God, knowing Jesus is really important. And he introduces this idea that maybe there's some false Christs that could impersonate Jesus or lead us astray from Jesus or teach us false things about Jesus that would mess things up for us. Knowing Jesus is important to John. And in John chapter 2 and 3, he he kind of takes this abiding um, even a little bit deeper. And it's important for the church that he's talking to because the church at the time was dealing with a schism. It was a group of people that were the really foundation or or roots of what would become um, a a sect of Christianity called Gnosticism. That was a real problem from the church in the second century. And, And John was dealing with this church who was confused about some things. It had had some false teachers and some problems. And so he's addressing some of the theology concerns, and he's also um, helping them to learn, um, well, how to have confidence, because these false teachings inevitably lead to questions and doubts and, and struggles. And so he was addressing those things and helping them. And, and confidence was really the key word in chapter 3. You can have confidence to come before God because of Jesus. 
And that brings us to John chapter, 1 John 4, where John doubles down on an idea that he introduced in chapter 2. He says that if you love God, you're going to love your brother. And so now in John chapter 4, he makes this love theme the big deal. There was a group of researchers, and they asked this question to kids between four and eight years old. What does love mean? You can imagine what some of their responses might have been. Uh, Love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your french fries without making them give you any of theirs, Chrissy said. Or or this one's from uh, Terry. He's four. Love is what makes you smile when you're tired. Danny said, love is when my mommy takes, makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure it tastes okay. <laughs> or, or there's uh, Bobby, love is what's in the room when you, uh, when, with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. Noel says, love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt and then he wears it every day. <laughs> Or this one's from Elaine. Love is when mommy gives daddy the best piece of chicken. (laughs) Um, May Ann says, uh, love is when your puppy licks your face even after you've left him alone all day. Or Karen, when you love somebody, your eyelashes go up and down and a little stars come out of you. (laughs) (laughs) Jessica says, you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot people forget. And Rebecca says, when my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. John has a definition of love. It's a definition that uh, complements these, I'll say. You can find it in 1 John chapter 4, 9. Remember this, 1 John 1, 9 is something that we can do if we confess, and then it's something that God promises to do. He will forgive and cleanse. But if you look at 1 John 4, 9, this is the definition of love. And it's how God is able to do what he said he'd do in 1 John 1, 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. You want a definition of love? That's the definition in, in John, I mean, anything that John writes, there's love all the way through. He's, uh, he's the apostle of love. Find it all the way through the book, the gospel of John, through 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. In Revelation, you find it all over the place. It's, it's about love in John's mind. And, and right here in the middle of the chapter, he's, he's kind of uh, defining love, but the whole chapter builds up towards this. So let's go back to the beginning. 1 John chapter 4, and we're just going to sit right here in this book. Um, so if you have your Bibles, open it to 1 John chapter 4, and, uh, and you'll, you can follow along. In, in the beginning of 1 John chapter 4, we find that John goes back to the subject he brought up in, in chapter 2, the subject of false teachers and false Christs. And this is a problem because he's dealing with this church that has had a schism. They've, they've had false teachers going around saying these things that have marred the gospel message and made people misunderstand what God is saying. And he, he decides to give them a test. He says, test the spirits. And what's the test that he gives them? Um, and, and the point of this test is to combat these errors. So the test helps us understand what the errors were. 
Um, And notice what he says in verse 2 and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from, or that does not confess that Jesus is from God, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So we've got this, this uh, issue. Um, there's people that are saying that Jesus isn't the Christ, or they're saying that he's not from God, or, you know, some variation on that. And verse 15 adds to it just a little bit. He says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So confessing that Jesus has come in the flesh, confessing that Jesus is God, somehow this tells us something about the error that these churches were dealing with. The reason that he's trying to clarify this is because the, the teachings that were going on were soon to develop into something called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism is a, a group of teachings. They're not all exactly the same. There's different twists and turns on it. But it's a, a sect of Christianity, a fanatical break from Christianity that has some fascinating teachings. And what John was experiencing in his day leads to something that we can record and document in the second century. In the Gnostic tradition, the, the term Sophia, it's a Greek word for wisdom, Sophia was a, they have interesting words, an aeon, uh, an emanation from what they call the Godhead. And Sophia, she's the lowest of all of the emanations of the Godhead. And without her partner, she produces another emanation that, that uh, we would know as Yahweh. And um, the, this God, this lower being, um, he, he thinks that he's alone in the universe for whatever reason, that, that maybe he's been pushed aside or something. So he decides he's going to do something uh, maleficent. He decides he's going to create matter, physical things, and he makes this world. And, uh, and then in this teaching, um, according to this Gnostic teaching, he creates people by taking stolen pieces of Sophia and, and trapping them in physical bodies. And of course, today we would know that as the, the, the soul idea. You know how our, people teach that there's a soul inside your body and when you die, it's released, right? And in this teaching, in this theory, the, the serpent in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that word knowledge in, in the Hebrew would have been translated in the Greek Septuagint as gnosis, which is where we get Gnosticism. It's about knowledge, right? So in the tree of the gnosis of good and evil, the knowledge of good and evil, um, the serpent is teaching Adam and Eve how to get free from the trap that Yahweh has put them under. Do you see how this could be a problem? It's kind of everything's backwards in this teaching. Um, and now, if, if you know the right stuff, is the theory, that's why it's called Gnosticism by Arrhenius and a few others in the second century Christian church. Um, if you know the right thing, you come to some kind of enlightenment, then, then you'll be able to get free from the trap of your physical body and allow the, the spirit, the soul, whatever, to, to go back to the pleroma, um, the home of God. So this is the teaching that develops by the second century, and and John is seeing there's a problem with what's uh, being taught, and that it's going to lead to this kind of error, and it's going to lead people not to follow Jesus as the Messiah, the Creator God, 
Remember, John says in, first, in, in John chapter 1, in the Gospel of John, he says that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and nothing was made that was made except by Him. He's the Creator is what he's saying. So if in John's mind, Jesus is Creator, Jesus is Redeemer, when you come to this idea that Jesus isn't actually God, that Christ, the God of heaven, did not come and become one of us, and that He's not actually man, He's not physical, as the Gnostics would teach, um, it comes, it leads to a very, very, very bad place. In fact, to teaching that Lucifer, the serpent, is really the savior of mankind. And so, the, the Gnostics taught uh, that, um, they, they would deny that, that the divine being came in the flesh, um, they would say that, that um, it was just some spiritual being floating around among us. Others would say that it wasn't actually a divine being at all. It was, um, it was a, a man who'd just come to enlightenment and was teaching his disciples how to do the same thing. And, and others would say that Jesus was a false messiah, perverting the teachings of John the Baptist. All kinds of interesting false teachings were going around. Now, today, do we have false teachings in the church? I mean, we could certainly point to false understandings of prophecy. We could point to false understandings of the gospel. Uh, But let's just just, uh, pay attention to our little community here. Have we had uh, false teachings in our little church? Yeah, the truth is we've had all kinds of interesting stuff. Um, And what we deal with today isn't dramatically different from what John was dealing with then. Uh, We certainly have people that teach that that, uh, Jesus was a created being. Or that the Holy Spirit is simply some emanation from the, the Father and, and not an individual being like the Bible teaches. We have people that, uh, that deny Scripture in the New Testament and uh, would do the same thing that the Judaizers was doing, were doing in Paul's day and invite us to uh, have some spiritual enlightenment by going back and, and following all of the, the ceremonies and, and uh, Uh, um, holidays and stuff from the Israelite movement back in the day. Um, All kinds of different things that would distract us from the focus that John wants us to have. We certainly have those those groups around. And the key is what what John encourages us to do in this first part of 1 John 4, test the spirits. What do they say? Are they saying that Jesus didn't come in the flesh? Are they saying that he's not God, the, the creator of the universe, the, the one and only God? Are they saying that Jesus is just some created being, some emanation of the Father after the fact? Or are they saying that he is genuinely God in human flesh, come to save us? That makes a big difference. And that if they are saying that Jesus is God and that he did come and did die on our behalf, then that's a really good place to start. But he doesn't stop there. He, he um, well, actually, I, I, need to, I need to point this out. Notice what John is trying to say. From the very beginning, he's like, I want you to have fellowship with God. And then towards the end, he says this in 1 John 5, 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that. And here's the, it's, it's the so that. So that you may know that you have eternal life. So in the beginning, he says, I want you to have fellowship with God. And in the end, he says, I want you to know that you have fellowship with God. I want you to be confident in your salvation. I want you to be confident that you can be saved. And this is a big, big, big deal. And maybe you think, ah, oh, it's not that big of a deal. But think about it like this. If you're into Gnostic teaching, there is never an end 
of the secret mystical knowledge that you might find. And you, you know how it goes. There's somebody that finds some interesting thing in the Bible, and they're like, nobody has seen this before. This is amazing. You should look at this. If you don't know this, then you don't know God. Have you heard this before, some version of this? Yeah. We get this, like, all this pent-up, like, oh, we, we've got to find some mystery in the Bible and uncover something that nobody else has found. And then we'll truly be close to God. There's never an end to that. And if you chase those kinds of teachings, then you're going to be chasing those kinds of teachings forever. If you're looking for ceremonies and forms and services that you can perform, you can be looking forever. And, uh, and you'll end up going deeper and diving deeper into something, trying to hopefully get closer to God in some physical way as you do some ceremony. It's, there, there's never anything that you can do that will give you confidence in your salvation. Any form of, of um, man-made religion has no confidence in the outcome. Now just think about it. If you're a, a Buddhist in, 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 in Thailand, I've got friends that are missionaries there, then when the guy comes down the street asking for something, you've got to make sure you give it to him. Because if you don't, you might not ever be, you know, get, get to the next form of, of um, incarnation, reincarnation. And so he comes down and, and, and you, you know, first you might give him um, a, a lighter. It's not very expensive, but, you know, it's a nice lighter. Uh, but the next time you give him a, 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 several loaves of bread, and the next time you give him an iPhone, because you want to make sure that, that you're going to be reincarnated as something better than you are today. There is never any confidence that you can have that, that things are good. But that's not the case in, in John's mind. John says the gospel isn't based on me. The gospel is based on the love of God. And so because it's based on the love of God, we can have confidence. And that's, that's what he wants. He wants us who believe in the name of the Son of God to have confidence that we may know that we have eternal life. And, and when you look at first verse 4, he says this, Little children, you are from God. Do you see his confidence there? It's not a question mark. It's not a maybe, if, only. It's a absolutely. You are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I love that one. Why can we know? Because he who is in us is greater. It's the spirit that testifies. In verse 5 and 6, John suggests that anyone who does not listen to the apostles is not from God. Is eating allowed? I think so. <laughs> in fact, we're going to eat in just a few minutes. If you wait for just a few minutes, we're going to go downstairs and eat. <laughs> he says in verse 5 and 6 that um, another way that we can test to know whether the spirits are from God is, he says, if they listen to us, Who's us? It's John and it's his friends, Paul and Peter and, and all of the apostles. If they're listening to the apostles, the ones that Jesus called and inspired, the, the, the prophets of the Old Testament, if they're listening to us, you can know that, that they're from God. Now, some people, they want to add something. It's the Apocrypha. It's some special book that was written in the 1960s. It was, you know, whatever. There's something out there that gives you new light, new revelation, new enlightenment. And it's the same problem that the Gnostics brought into the church back in the first and second century. 
It's this idea that there needs to be more, and there just doesn't. If it's not in the Word, then it's not the source of our um, faith or practice. The Bible is our foundation, and the Bible only. Anything that would supersede or take the place of the Bible, you know, maybe those people are sincere, but they are sincerely wrong. And, and it's not worth listening to. Stick with the Bible. That's the focus that John wants us to have. And then jump to verses 7 and 8. And you'll see this. Beloved, let us not love one another. Sorry, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God, does not love, does not know God. Because God is love. John isn't the first one to say this. Paul said it. Peter said it. Jesus said it. Even Moses said it back in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. This is, this is not a new idea. Um, and, and this is his argument. Why is it that you, if you don't love, you don't know God? Do we need, just need to like, like manufacture some loving feelings inside of ourselves in order to know God? No, no. John makes it really clear in verse 19. We love because... Because we love because he first loved us. His love is transformative and it, and it makes us loving too. In fact, his promise is that he'll write his law in our hearts. And, and what is the law? The law is based on these two great commandments. And you can find one in Deuteronomy chapter 6 where it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all of your mind. And the other one you can find in Leviticus chapter 19, and it says, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus just so happens to quote those in the New Testament. But the the law that God wants to write in our hearts is the law of love. And when when we let ourselves, well, when we confess our sins, and he forgives us and cleanses us, what he's doing is he's writing that law in our hearts. And so how, how do we know that we're from God? How do we know that we're his children? It's because he's transforming our hearts to be loving. Are you finding your heart growing in love? I think it's an important question that John wants us to ask ourselves. Am I growing in love? If I am, then I can know the Holy Spirit's working in my life. And if I'm not, then then there might be a barrier, some problem that's preventing the Holy Spirit from working in our lives. Now, keep in mind, this is not the kind of love that uh, you would consider as just human affection. Um, You know, the... The kind of love that draws you to that person that's just really good-looking or really successful or just seems so smart. Um, you know, the, the thing that attracts people to, to, to speakers like Joel Osteen. Great guy, I mean, as far as his public persona goes and stuff. Lots of people like him. Um, but it's, it's more the, the good looks, the success, the fact that lots and lots of other people like him. It seems like we should pay attention to him, Right. Uh, but is that the reason that we should be attracted to something? Is that what love really is? Or, or um, you know, some of the, the kind of love that we have for each other is, is the love of pity. You know, we, we, are, we look at somebody who's down and out and we have pity for them. And it's a kind of love-ish, maybe. Um, but that's not what the love that John is talking about is. The love John is talking about is the love that Jesus had. It's been a few minutes. It has. That is the least blunt I've ever seen. <laughs> I, think, I think she's saying we should be done with 1 John 4. Love. 
beloved, God so, if God so loved us, we ought to love each other. And, and we ought to go to lunch, I guess, too. <laughs> now, John says this, it's interesting, and you might have seen this in the Bible and said, what does that mean? No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. What does that mean? Well, here's the point. When, when you look around the world, no one sees God, but they do see you and me. And when God is abiding in us and his love is starting to transform us, they see that. And you know what they're seeing? They're seeing God's love. Because our love isn't just the standard, um, you know, nice that you're, you're around me. I like that you like the same things I like. You know, thieves even love each other, right? That's not the love God wants. He wants something that's different, the love that Jesus has, the selfless, give everything for another kind of love. And he, he says this, we'll know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. There's, there's sometimes things that prevent us from receiving God's spirit. Do you remember the story of the, the woman who had uh, this problem? She had a big debt. Her husband had died. He had, she had two sons. They were going to come and take the sons as payment for the debt and enslave them. Do you remember that story? She comes to Elisha and she asks him for help. And in this story, Elisha asks, what do you have in your house? And she says, I've got a little bit of oil. That's about the only thing that's, that's valuable, a little tiny bit of oil. And he says, well, go and get all the vessels that you can from your neighbors. And so she collects pots and, and, and bowls and whatever else she can collect. And he says, start pouring that oil in. And she pours and she pours and she pours and she pours and it never runs out until everything is filled up. God's Spirit is a lot like that. There is no limit to the power of the Holy Spirit, no limit to His willingness to be in our lives. It's not like we have to wait for some period in time when, voila, the Spirit will come. God has given us His Spirit today. And, and see, the difference is, how many pots do we have that are available for Him? Are there, are there pots in your life, little aspects of your life that you'd said no to God? I don't really care for you to be part of my work life. No, I don't really care for you to be part of my, my, my food life. <laughs> you know, I'd prefer that you stay out of this aspect of my marriage and my entertainment is over here. You can have, you can have Saturday mornings from, you know, 9.30, maybe, maybe 10.30, 10.45 uh, <laughs> to, <laughs> to 1.00. Or as soon as the pastor finishes preaching, <laughs> right? This is the spot that I give you, Holy Spirit. And, and the Holy Spirit is like, I am so glad that you've given me that spot. Thank you so much. Keep giving me that spot. And can I have that, that, little, uh, that little pot over there too? Just, just open it up and I'll pour myself in. Where do we hinder God from being in our life? The Holy Spirit will fill you as much as you make available for him to fill. God has promised his Holy Spirit to anybody who confesses. He says, I will forgive and cleanse. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, verse 16 and 17 in uh, chapter 4, he says, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Now, keep in mind, John is talking as one who actually spent time with Jesus. He knew Jesus. He experienced him. He hung out with him. He saw miracles. He knew Jesus. And so he says, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. John knows this, intimately knows that God is love. And he says, whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. And by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. How is love perfected? By abiding. When we abide in God, 
When we spend time, I, I just did a VBS for a bunch of kids, and, and we learned this, this uh, acronym, TAG. How many of you like to play TAG? Come on, guys. We've got some kids that like to play TAG. Okay. Some adults, any adults that like to play TAG? Here's what it stands for. Time alone with God. TAG. We all need some tag time. Every day we need some tag time. We need to spend time alone with God. That's how we get to, well, that's how love becomes perfected in us. By beholding, we become changed. By spending time with God, we become transformed into His image. And it says, we, this is how love is perfected in us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because, he is, um, because as He is, so also are we in this world. Okay, so this, this thing about love and judgment is really important. And the next verse, he introduces this, this thing that we all know. How many of you heard this verse before? There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. You heard that one before? How many of you have stopped right there? Perfect love casts out fear. Because if we stop right there, we get a misunderstanding. You might think, oh, I'm afraid, and that must mean I don't love enough be honest. How many of you thought that? Just, just, yeah? Okay. A few hands. I thought that um, for a long time. So I'm, I'm reading through this and I'm studying this and, I, and I'm like, what, what are you talking about here, John? And, and, and he explains it. Right the very next sentence, for fear has to do with punishment. And if you go back to the previous verse, notice that the, um, I'm, I'm clicking the wrong thing. Go back. There we go. Notice that we may have confidence for the day of what? Judgment. This is the day of punishment. And fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Whoever fears doesn't understand the love of God, is what he's saying. Perfect love. Whose love? Is that my love? Is that your love? No, our love is imperfect at best. It's the love that thieves have for each other. But, but God's love is the love that is perfect. And when it's perfected in us, it's that knowing, it's like, I understand that God loves me and I don't need to be afraid of punishment because all he asks is that I bear my soul to him and I confess and say, God, this is who I am, please forgive me. And he promises that he will forgive and he will cleanse. We love because he first loved us. Our love is a response to him. Our love is the result of him being in our lives his love is the evidence of my salvation. And then in verse 20, he says, if anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. This one is a sobering one. And it reminds us that there are spots in our lives, little pots that we hold aside and we say, God, I don't want you there. And, and John says, if we keep doing that, we can't say we know God because God will, will make us loving He'll turn that hatred, that lack of forgiveness, he'll turn that into love and forgiveness. There's a book about Psalm 23 by a guy named Philip Keller. It's called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And just uh, here's Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, what this shepherd turned pastor, uh, Mr. Keller says, is that a sheep won't lie down. Uh, in, In at least four different circumstances, they will not lie down. If they are afraid, uh, you know, like there's a predator around, they will not lie down. If they are hungry, they will not lie down. If they are pestered by uh, flies and gnats and whatever, they will not lie down. And if they have an argument with another sheep, they will not lie down. 
You know, we're a lot like sheep. (laughs) If you're afraid, you don't rest. You can't abide with Jesus when you're holding on to your fear. And, And when you're in an argument with somebody, <laughs> you can't rest in Jesus. If you're being bothered by all kinds of different stuff in life, you can't rest. If you're hungry, <laughs> you can't rest. <laughs> and Jesus says that he wants us to abide in him, to rest in him. And, and here's the thing, keep, keep reading. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. No fear. Perfect love casts out fear. For why, what, what's the difference? What's the thing that makes the difference? You are with me. It's the shepherd that makes the difference. Your rod and they staff, they com- your, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The shepherd brings that anointing oil and covers the sheep and protects it from the gnats. The shepherd makes sure the pasture is free from bad things so that it can graze and not kill itself on some poisonous plant. The shepherd, um, when, the, when the, the sheep lies down and gets too comfortable and its feet go up in the air and it's about to die from the gases that build up or whatever, the shepherd turns it right side up and massages its legs, right? The, the shepherd is the one that makes the sheep possible to lie down and to be comfortable, The shepherd protects the sheep from enemies. The shepherd is the one that makes the difference. There is no love, no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. The difference is that God's love is involved. How about your life? Are you sometimes afraid to lie down? Are you so worked up with life that you don't, rest in Jesus. He just invites you, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Just come. Whatever you feel, whatever you're experiencing, whatever your trial, just come, and he'll give you rest. Let's sing our closing hymn. Hymn number 343, I will sing of my Redeemer.